If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to his eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Well, today we are going to finish, complete our uh, final message in the You Asked For It series, where this, got, this began as last Easter. We sent out a, a quick survey and just said, hey, what do you want to know? With the, you know? Fill in the blank. I want to know what the Bible says about blank. And we took the top five answers, and uh, that's what this series is. And I would encourage you, if you missed any of those, to go back and listen to them on our podcast and the website or uh, our app. And especially if you missed the second week, uh, which was uh, the, the message that we did, and us actually did a, a bonus Q and A on the, on the issue of the, the with the LGBT community. Uh, we got um, you got to at least check that one out. Uh, I've heard people both inside the church as well as those outside the church say how helpful it was and how encouraged they were uh, by that. Um, I even have friends, just people I didn't know, I mean, people I've not seen like thirty years or something like that. Say, hey, thanks for posting that, and it's like, wow, okay, whatever. But they. Um, <laughs> Good to see you too. And so we, uh, but as, I think just if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please take every opportunity to do that. Next week, just to kind of give you a heads up, uh, we'll have a guest speaker in. Uh, his name is Dave Devonish, and he is a, he is a powerful, he is a mighty man of God. He, um, he is planting churches, helping to plant churches in some of the most difficult areas of our world. Uh, he, he gives leadership to our wider family uh, of churches called New Frontiers, and he's just a great, great brother. He'll be speaking. Uh, next week. And then the week after that, I am going to give what I think is the most important message of the year. And so you, you'll want to be there. And then be, between that and Christmas, it's just filler. So I mean, <laughs> um, no, some good stuff in there too. Uh, but today we're going, to, we're going to talk about how to handle grief, how to process grief and pain, handling grief. And, and I want to start off with a question. So I need your participation. I need your participation here. Those of you in Washington, the lake, I need your participation. Uh, raise your hands if you've ever had the check engine light on your car go on. Just raise your hand. Come on, everybody raise your hands. Okay, it's on now. Okay. All right, leave them up. Leave them up. Don't put them down. We're not done yet. Now, keep your hand up Is it, if, 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 if every time you see that, you immediately go check it out. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a few of you. There's a few of you. Um, man, I, would, I just, until about five years ago, you can put your hands down, by the way. Um, uh, until about five years ago, I would never check it. I mean, I would see it and just, I would see it more of a suggestion. Not really something I need to do, but just like, hey, you may want to consider this. And um, so anyway, it, but what ha- something happened five years ago that, that's changed it. And what happened is we were driving back from uh, Atlanta, um, uh, and, and I had a major car issue. 
Um, and Atlanta, it's about 550 miles. It's a trip that my family takes very often. We've got family there, so we go there very often. It's about 550 miles. And again, it takes about 10 hours if you take your time, the trip does. If you manage your time well, it's about a nine-hour trip. But my hope is to always make the trip in eight hours and 23 minutes, all right? And so like I, so one of the things I do on Sunday mornings, I drive back and forth to preach. And, and uh, I've got about a 17-minute drive, and, and I've got about five minutes of margin. And people always ask me very empathetically, like, oh my gosh, it must be so hard. And I want to say, yeah, but actually I love it. Like, I just love the thrill of just going. Anyway, so I'm like that. So eight hours and 23 minutes, it means that we have two stops, one for gas and one for, um, and one for drive-through. And if you have to go to the bathroom, you are going in one of those two trips. So I've got a wife and, and a few kids. If, you got, if you're going to go on that trip, you're going to go in one of those two times. And my wife is always like, is it really necessary to be in such a hurry? And I'm like, do you even know me? Like, this is so hurtful. Like, it, it's like you don't even know who I am. And, um, and of course, she has, you know, if you're a normal person, she has a point. But for me, like, ruining everybody's day to save 15 minutes over a nine-hour drive is just the price I'm willing to pay. And so, um, so we're on this road trip, and we're not, we haven't even left, like, the metro of Atlanta. And here comes the check engine light. And Rachel's like, uh, you know, should we check this out? I'm like, no, 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 I'd be fine. We're, we're all right. I mean, we only have eight and a half hours of driving left through mostly mountainous areas with hardly any gas stations and virtually no cell service. So like, what could possibly, possibly go wrong with this decision? And uh, for the most part, it was okay. But about two hours down the road, my transmission starts to slip. And before we get to Nashville, which is about four hours away from Atlanta, I couldn't get out of third gear. It wouldn't tr- go into third gear. And um, so I was, I mean, at 45 miles an hour, was pushing it. I mean, it was like revving up pretty good at 45. And then this weird thing happened where if I would slow down at all, it wouldn't shift into second. It would go back into first gear and get stuck. So what I had to do is I had to pull over, turn the car off, like let's sit for a second. And then for, I don't know, I don't have any science behind it, but I just turn it back on and like it reset and then I could get back up into uh, third gear. And all these things kept happening. I mean, this, I mean, I'm sure God was in it somehow, but like all these things kept, like there was like these random like, like roadworks. Like there's nobody working on the road, but there's like traffic being stopped. So I had to stop and the whole, and then it started, it is trouble. Anyway, but I get all, we get all the way to St. Louis we get all the way to St. Louis, and by this time, I had so damaged my transmission that it would only stay in first gear for like 10 seconds, and then it would completely stall. And at this point, people are like begging me, begging me, will you please stop, Dad? Will you please, please stop? And for a moment, I considered it. I mean, weakness was coming in, but like I said, no, no, no. We're going this, so I did what any good husband and father would do. I dropped my kids off at a gas station at 44 in Jefferson and called a friend to come pick them up. But I'm going home with this, this van. Like, this is, this is going to happen. And so, like, I just kept going and going. Now, thankfully, and I didn't notice at the time I lived in South City, uh, the only way I was able to make it home is that from running from north to south, south uh, Kings Highway is at a bit of a slant. I don't know if you ever noticed that. But it does kind of go down a little bit. So I was able to coast. And I, and I would get to a light, and if it was green or red, I just kept coasting. I didn't stop. <laughs> and I, was, I figured it's better to ask for forgiveness and permission. And so we, we, I just kept going, and I, and I get to my house. I got, I got all the way to my, I mean, like, the smell of transmission was like you could smell it in Indiana. And it was just, it was toast. And, but I had made it. You know what the moral of the story is, of course? I can do all things to Christ who strengthens. <laughs> no, that's not, 
that's not it. Here's the moral of the story. You, got, you have to pay attention to warning signs. In your life, in your life, you are going to experience pain and sorrow and grief. And it's going to be a warning sign. It's going to be, it's going to be a signal to you that you need to stop and deal with this pain. So sometimes, like in a car, like you can just, it's you just a little pit stop, need something to drink, get some gas, maybe check the, you know, the wiper fluid or something like that. And then you're off and go five, 10 minutes. But sometimes something happens to where it doesn't matter how much time you take, if you don't fix that problem, if you don't deal with the issue, you're going to burn out. And so there's times in this life where that happens. And if you don't stop and process that pain, if you don't stop and process um, that grief, you're going to put forth all this energy and you're going to end up, you're going to end up blowing out your transmission. You're going to end up like uh, acting like you can't get out of second gear, even though you're running and running and running and running. And I've had a few blowouts in my life, but one that sticks out to me is about 14 uh, years ago. Someone I love very deeply was in a very, very, very dark situation. And it drained me. I was just totally worthless for just a, a really long period of time. And I remember when it first happened. I mean, I literally lost my appetite for days and I never lose my appetite. I mean, even if I'm like really like puking my guts out, I'm like, what's for dinner? Like, I'm just like, I do not lose my, lose my, some of you just lost your appetite, but I do not lose my appetite. It's robust. And so, but I just could, I just didn't feel, I was, and there's this temptation for you and I just to keep going, just to keep going, just to keep going. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you've experienced some pretty dark things. You've experienced grief. You've experienced pain at a deep level. Some of you may be experiencing that right now. Now, some of you, you look young and and, and you haven't been there yet, but I just want you to know that you're on the clock. It's coming. And I don't mean that as a threat. I'm just saying that's just the way life is. Like you read the book of Ecclesiastes and this guy's like, man, through all the toil, through all the acquiring, no matter how much you possess, no matter how much you experience, that the end of life, man, it's all vanity. It all ends in a ditch. But there's something in us that wants to keep going and it's eternity that God's put in our heart. There's something that he wants to do in our pain. But if we just ignore the pain, if we don't listen to the pain that's in our life, we're gonna end up, damaging more than we think that we will. And here are a few examples. We, like, we have a check engine light and there's a few things that we do to, to, um, that, that are really can be warnings to us, like a check engine light, to warnings to us that we may have some pain that we need to, we need to deal with. And they all start, there are five Ds I wanna talk to you about. One is that we, you can diminish the pain that you're experiencing. Oh, it's not that bad. I've had worse. You diminish it. You diminish it. It's not that bad. Oh, honey, it's fine. We'll be Okay. Uh, the other thing you do, you can deflect it. I don't want to talk about it. You just think, if you just don't talk about it, if you don't think about it, the pain is going to go away. Some people say time heals all wounds. Time heals nothing. It just makes you bitter. Another thing is you disengage. Here's a bad one. You disengage. You, you, you isolate yourself. You withdraw from your spouse. You withdraw from your family. You withdraw from friends. You withdraw from the church. You withdraw from God. You just begin to isolate yourself. You disengage. You get defensive. You defend. And you put up this front. Here's, here's what I do, the last one. I dissect. I just wallow in regret. I mean, I just have this thing that like I can, I can control things. And so like, oh, if I just would have done this or I hadn't done this, it wouldn't turn out this way. So I just need to do, be better the next time. So I'll dissect the problem in a way that's not 
helpful. In my experience, there's two things that can happen with pain in your life. When you, you can, it's an opportunity to make you bitter. You can, blow, you can blow up. Or it's an opportunity to make you better. I've seen some people go through some very painful circumstances and they just get bitter. They become less and less of who God would want them to be. And some people, they experience things that are just like horrific and you're like, how in the world are you not in a corner balled up? Like, but they experience these things and they're like, man, I never want to go through that again. But like, this has made me who I am. God has used this to make me who I am. And, and that's what God wants to do um, in our life, that he wants to speak to us in our pain to either deliver us or to make us better. C.S. Lewis says this in his book, The Problem with Pain. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speak to us through our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's what God wants to do. That, you know, it's what Paul says uh, to the Romans. He says that God works out all things for our good the good things and the bad things. There's nothing, if you're a Christian, there's nothing that can happen to you that's going to diminish you. It can only make you better. It's only matters to which the wisdom which you handle. That's why in James it says, consider it a pure joy, my brothers, when you expense trials of many kinds. And there are many kinds of trials. We could just go through the room and every, you could talk about your grief. You could talk about your pain and it would all be a little bit different. There are many kinds of trials. You get through this trial and there's another one. But consider it a pure joy. And then it says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. So God wants to give us wisdom and perspective when we go through our trials. He wants to help us in that. So today I want to talk about how we process pain, how we process grief. I want to talk about what it means to really lean into God. What does it mean to take something to God? You know, you hear that sometimes. People say, you know, just take it to God. Like, what does that mean? Like, take it to God. What do you mean, take it to God? Like, you know, here you go, God. Here it is. Like, how do you take something to God? How do you lean into God in prayer? That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is con- encouraging us to do, that in our pain and in our suffering, we don't have to run and hide, but we can run quickly to a throne of grace, to our great high priest. And, and so firstly, the, 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 the passage is gonna tell us how, but it's gonna first tell us why. And the first reason is that he already knows. It says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but we're all naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give an account. Here's, here's why you could take it to God. He already knows. Like, you know, sometimes you just don't have the energy or it's too painful to articulate or too embarrassing to articulate or we'll be afraid that we'll misunderstand. And like, the thing is that we don't have to nuance our communication with God because he already knows. I mean, you could put secrets right up there with the Easter bunny and the, you know, a unicorn because they don't exist. He sees everything. He was there. So that's what David was was both rejoicing in and lamenting in the Psalms when he says, you know, if I climb to the highest mountain, you're there. If I put on scuba gear and go into the depths of the ocean, you're there too. If I'm in a crowd saying something, you hear that. But if I'm all by myself, you hear that too. He knows. So one of the things that the reason why we can go to God is that he already knows. He knows. And so we can run to him. He sees all, he knows all. He's loving you. He's wanting you to come near. Secondly, he sympathizes. He sympathizes. We'll deal, detail this out here in a little bit uh, more, but we don't serve a God who's removed from us, uh, who do, is isolated from us, who doesn't know exactly what we're going through, who hasn't, beset, hasn't been beset with every anxiety, who hasn't been depressed with every worry, yet he encounters those situations without failure, without losing hope, and without losing faith. He sympathizes. He understands. Sometimes people don't understand, but he always understands 
And because of this, we can have confidence in our time of need, in our time of grief, in our time of pain, that we can run to him. So if you're struggling this morning, if you're in pain this morning, if you're experiencing grief this morning, the good news is that you can run to him because he knows and he sympathizes. He knows exactly what you're going through. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on and to talk about just the depth of how much he knows and the, the depth of his pain. Jesus was not exempt from pain. In fact, if you understand the cross, if you understand what he went through in the cross, you would know that he experienced a deeper pain than anybody who's ever walked the planet. Not just a physical pain, but a deep emotional and spiritual pain as the shame and the guilt and the despair of sin of everyone began to fall upon, fall, fall upon him. And that's what he talks about in Hebrews 5. So if you want to like turn over there um, in your Bibles to the right, uh, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, uh, we'll have it here on the screen as well. This is what the writer says about Jesus. Talks about this really unbelievably unique time in the life of Jesus. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard for his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience, which is interesting, through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So these, again, these verses reference a very unique time in the life of Jesus that shows us the depth of his humanity, the depth of his weakness, the depth of his pain and his grief, a time where he was so blindsided by pain, even guilt and shame, where he prayed to the one who was able to save him, who was able to take him from his pain, yet... Yet he learned obedience through what he suffered, which means he went through a process in his pain, which was not taken from him, but yet his father met him in that pain and he was greatly helped. And what is being referenced here in your Bible is this time where he was in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. And in the garden was an unbelievably unique time in his life. I mean, there's just oodles and oodles of prophecies about the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. There's, there's almost no mention of the garden. And so he comes bewildered, confused of what's going on. And this is, and I'm going to take you to another place uh, in Matthew 26, where this details out. And then we'll, we'll have a few observations and then hopefully pray for some people. So in Matthew 26, if you want to hold your uh, place in, in Hebrews 5, then go to Matthew 26. Uh, uh, Matthew says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he began uh, to be sorrowful and troubled. So he begins to experience fear and pain, and he does something he's never done before, and that is he asked them to pray. He asked for help. And they said to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch me. So let me try to pull you into the situation. So he begins to experience the despair and the shame and the grief of sin. It begins to fall upon him. So he calls his closest friends to him. And he says to them, I am in such agony and such sorrow and grief. I feel like I can die. And this isn't hyperbole here. I mean, he's not saying, hey, I'm hungry as a horse. He's not trying to like exaggerate what he's going through. He's beginning to feel a depth of pain that makes him feel like he's going to die. 
and going a little farther, he fell on his face. I mean, he's like trembling with fear. He's trembling with sorrow. He's in a really bad place. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through this anymore. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said, Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Come on, I've been with you all this time. You can't do this for me. Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, is weak. And again, he's, again, a second time, he went and prayed, my father, if this could pass, and let, um, unless I drink it, your will be done. And so he's like, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to do, do this. Is there any other way? Now, I want to stay in your will, but if there's any other way, will you take this away from me? He just became baffled and confused and bewildered. And again, he comes to his disciples. He's like, he found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed a third time, saying the exact same thing. Jesus is at a loss He doesn't know what to do. He's leaning into the Father. He's praying. He's pleading. He's being honest about where he feels, looking for relief and answers. And check out how uh, Luke says it. He says, there appeared to him after he prayed an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. But he prayed more earnestly. But his sweat came like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In that moment, he felt such despair, such hopelessness, such discouragement, uh, pain, suffering, tears, cries of agony, his heart being crushed like a wine press, like, like his, the sweat from his forehead is coming down like deep, big drops of blood. And the writer of Hebrews and the writer of the gospel goes to great lengths to describe just how much pain he went through, the depth of his humanity. We don't like to see Jesus away, but the depth of his humanity, the depth of his agony, his fear, his despair. And here's, if you get anything out of today, here's what you need to get out of this, that you, you have a friend in Jesus. Now you have way more than a friend, but you have a friend. You, you don't have a high priest. You do not have a mediator who is unable to sympathize with your pain. Your friend, sometimes we don't understand we, and we can't quite get it, but he gets it. He was there. He experienced a depth of pain and sorrow and grief that nobody's really able to experience because no one has felt the, the, the shame of sin the despair of sin, the guilt of sin fall upon their shoulders the way Jesus did. He really, really understands. He really does. There's just a few observations that I want to pull out of this. It's going to take just a few minutes. And then I would love to, I'd love to pray for some people. Observation number one, Jesus took his pain to the father and was honest. He's like, I want out. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I want out. Any way, any way I can tap out here and maybe someone else could do I'm, I want out of this. He, it's okay that you tell God exactly how you feel, unedited. You don't have to worry about it. I mean, he already knows. So you don't have, it's not like, oh, I don't want God to hear this. Like he already knows. He knows your thoughts. He knows you better than you know you. It's okay that you're angry, sad, and distressed. Here's a second little observation from this in the garden. He processed pain in community. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Were his friends helpful? Not really. <laughs> Not really. Are your friends helpful? I, I have found my friends to be very helpful, but sometimes friends aren't helpful. They can say dumb stuff. I mean, they can just start quoting verses at you with no empathy. And why they mean well, it just doesn't help. But here's what's interesting about Jesus. I mean, he still, I think, at least for our example, processed pain with his friend. I need you to come close, friends. I need you in here. I need you to pray with me. And they weren't very helpful. In fact, a few hours later, Peter is going to deny him. And what Jesus, what he did is as soon as he rose from the dead, he went and found Peter to restore him. So here's what I want to say. Some of you have gone through painful situations and your friends weren't help, helpful. And you're like, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to stay isolated with my pain. I'm not going to involve others. It's too hard. They're going to reject me. It's not going to be helpful anyway. Hey, Jesus knows what you're going through. His friends were not helpful. They were immature. They, they couldn't even stay awake. They denied him, but he went and restored. Hey, I want you to know this. If you've gone through pain, don't give up on friends. You process in community. One of the worst things you can do is stay isolated. The third thing is that God, that I noticed right here, that God sent an angel to comfort him. Here's what I can guarantee you if you lean into God with your pain. I, I can't guarantee the outcome, but I can guarantee this part of it. He will comfort you. He will comfort you. He will comfort you. He will. He absolutely will. Now, what he may not do is he may not change your situation because what happened to Jesus after he prayed and got strengthened? What happened to his circumstances? They got worse. They got worse. He still went to the cross. He, he still went under the whip. You know, the Jews gave 40 lashes minus one. The Romans showed no such mercy. They were done beating you when, they were, when, when two or three physically fit soldiers were tired and bored of beating you. Maybe upwards of 100 times. Killed most people. His situation didn't get better. It got worse. The point of going to God with your pain isn't because He'll get rid of it. Sometimes he does and thank God for that. Sometimes he delivers us and thank God for that. But the point isn't so much of him getting rid of your pain. The point of leaning is learning. The point of leaning into God is learning from God. He wants, to he wants you to learn from your pain. God has a purpose in your situ situation. He does work out all things from good. He, there's nothing that's going to happen. If you're a Christian, there's nothing that's going to happen to you that's going to make you less. It's only going to make you more. He only moves us from one degree of glory to the next. There's this old uh, Romanian pastor that said that Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. And that's what happens when pain and suffering and grief, they can't do anything. No bad situation. It's never going to remove you from God's love. It's never going to take away from you. It's only going to make you better if you take it to God. The tragedy isn't that you would suffer in life because we're all going to suffer. Christian, not Christian, doesn't matter. We're all going to suffer. Some of us, though, suffer and never know the purpose for which we suffer. We just suffer. 
Don't waste the suffering in your life. Don't waste the pain that you go through. Don't waste the grief. God wants to comfort you. And you know what? He's going to use it. He's going to use your pain for a purpose. He's going to take the mess you're in and maybe turn it into a ministry. Paul says that he he comforts us with all comfort so that we can comfort others. You're going through something and there's two things about that you need to know about your pain. He may deliver you, but if he doesn't, two things you need to know about your pain. One is you're going to experience a closeness with God through that pain than if you've not gone through it. You're going to experience a closeness to God. He's going to bring you real comfort. The second thing is he's going to use it to bless other people. He's going to use your pain to bless other people. And so you can use your, your pain and your suffering to get bitter, or you can use your pain and suffering to get better. God wants to redeem God wants to redeem things through your pain. He used the pain of Jesus to redeem the whole world. He wants to use your pain to redeem other people. Now, our dream at Jubilee Church is to be the kind of community where it's okay to, be, not, to not be okay and to really uh, help and, and be there for each other and to pray for each other, not to just quote verses of each other, although there's a time for that as well, but to really empathize. And Can we do this? Can we go ahead and, and stand?